All right, we're making our way through the book of Acts, and uh, we are actually to the second division in the book. The, the, the first division of the book of Acts is chapters 1 through 7, and basically it speaks of, of the very early parts of the church, Pentecost, the establishment of the, of the uh, 12th apostle again, and how Peter went out and preached, and then they spend a couple of three chapters on actually the beginning persecution of the apostles, how uh, Peter and James went to the temple and they um, performed a miracle of healing that, that, that crippled man, then they went inside the temple and they worshiped God and they praised the Lord. But that miracle, that working of the apostles there brought persecution. Eventually, they were put into jail, they were told not to preach, not to teach, they went back to their church, to their people, told them what was going on, and they just simply continued to preach the gospel. And then you can see things, starting chapter 6 and 7, start to escalate. In chapter 7, we, we come to the first Christian martyr, and that was uh, Stephen. Stephen was one of the men who was selected in Acts chapter 6 to, to be uh, one of the caretakers or one of the overwatchers of the Greek widows. It wasn't, those seven men were not, were not deacons in the sense of over the entire church. All that they worked towards, all that they helped were the Greek-speaking widows. As far as I can understand the Scriptures, all of the men that were elected, selected, were, were actually Greek-speaking um, Jews. They were Hellenists. And so that these ladies that they were selected to help were of their culture and their background. And so uh, Stephen was just being a witness and some people came along and accused of Stephen saying that Jesus would come back and destroy the temple. And the religious leaders came along and said, is that true? Is he going to destroy the temple? How dare you say that? And then Stephen gave one of the greatest historical messages that, that we have in the Bible. He went all the way from God calling Abram out of the Ur, Ur the Chaldees to, to being in Jerusalem, and he said, you guys have slain the one that Moses had promised or prophesied that would be a prophet like he was. You have killed the righteous one. You've killed the just one. And those men who heard that message the Bible says they, they were like gnashing in their teeth. They were angry. They were extremely mad. And they took their coats off, took Stephen out to the edge of the city, and stoned him to death. And whilst they were doing that, they, put, they placed their coats near at the feet of one by the name of Saul of Tarsus. Now, this actually changes really the complexity of the book of Acts. It, it, you see the shift from this kind of happy, you know, um, barely persecuted church to this massively persecuted people of God. And so let's begin in Acts chapter 8, and we'll just read the first eight verses tonight. But I don't often entitle my messages, but this one I, I've titled from, from the understanding of these eight verses. Basically, I titled this, There is No Excuse for the Church. There is no excuse for the church. So, Acts chapter 8, verse 1. 
And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. And as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down into the city of Samaria, and he preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of, the, out of many that were possessed with them, and many, and many taken with palsies, and that, and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city." If I, if I was reading this for my own devotions and my own time in my Bible reading, I would have probably circled the word havoc and I would have probably underlined the statement in verse 8, and there was great joy in that city. And it doesn't matter what the church endures. It doesn't matter what... And when I mean the church, you know I mean the people because it is the people that make up the church. And it doesn't matter what the church or the people of God endure, it doesn't matter what the Lord allows us to go through, there is simply no excuse for the church. The church now at this point in Acts chapter 8, I told you something changed. In the beginning, the only people that were persecuted were the apostles really. James, uh, 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 Peter, John, you know, they were the ones that were being persecuted for the most part up until Stephen the, the people of God were not being persecuted. It, it, it was just that leadership. And, and honestly, that makes sense to me because in, in military scenarios, when, when you're out and they're training you for combat, you know, they, they teach you little things. When you are going to uh, hit a convoy, go for, the, go for the Humvee, at least that's what it was in my day, Go for the Humvee that has all the antennas. Does anybody know why? Communication. And the likelihood of, of um, one, an officer being in that Humvee is very high because he would be controlling events from that kind of command vehicle. And, and so you cut off the head and the body kind of dies. And, and this is what they were doing. But that did not work. Because by the time you get to Acts 5 or so, there are thousands of converts in the city of Jerusalem. On the very first day, there were 3,000. But there were a couple of thousand more added to that a short time later. And before you knew it, there were 5,000 former Jewish believers, Jewish followers, that were now believers in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so... Uh, now Stephen is being persecuted. And here at the end of chapter 7, we finally hear the name of this, of this man. And the Bible says that in, in, in 758, and they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And beginning in verse 1 in chapter 8, and Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout 
the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles and devout men. They carried Stephen out in verse 3. And for Saul, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church. The church now was under persecution. And they were under persecution of immense uh, danger, of immense passion. They were under a persecution that, that they probably hadn't seen as a people since, and I know you might think it's exaggerative, but since Pharaoh persecuted the Israelites in Egypt. Well, Pharaoh was making the people kill their children and, and, and put them out and, 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 and just let them lie there and die. Paul, you and I, because he became the Apostle Paul, maybe we have somewhat of a softer understanding of Paul, but Paul, Jacob, or Micah, whatever my son's name is, that one right there, Micah? You can sit there with Philip, but you must be sitting down and quiet. If not, I'll move you back to mom. Your choice, okay? Sit down, please. Yeah, I'll find it in a moment. Oh, okay. Okay, when you read Exodus and Genesis, and, or, yeah, Exodus, you see how bad Pharaoh was, right? Well, we don't go into great detail in, in the New Testament about how vicious Paul actually was, but he was a tyrant. Paul was a murderous tyrant that was literally after blood of these people who called themselves of the way, what we would call as Christians. Look in, look in verse 3. In verse 3, the Bible uses a word, in, in English we have it as havoc. The Greek word havoc actually means outrage. And this is the kind of persecution that was led by, the Saul, by Saul of Tarsus. It's the word outrage. It means ravaging. It means maltreating. It has the idea, this word havoc, has the idea of um, a wild animal mangling its prey. Now, I think, Renee, I'm not sure if Val was there. The rest of you weren't. But, um, Renee and I, mean, did you guys go a few years ago with us when we went up to the safari park? And we, we, we took the bus ride up to the safari park? And Yeah? Come here, Micah. We took a bus ride up to the safari park. Now, halfway through the safari park ride, uh, our bus stopped, and there were some lions out there in the middle of the field. Do you remember that? And, and what was in the middle of the field? There was this ripped up carcass of flesh. You know, guts kind of spewed out everywhere. Now this is the exact idea that the Bible is giving to us of, of the type of persecution that Paul was inflicting on the church of God. Paul is compared, when Paul was on the road to Damascus and he was going to Damascus, what was he going there to do? He was going there so that he could try to cause some of the believers in Christ to blaspheme against God. He was going there with this vehement attempt to turn people or to put them into prison or even to have them killed if they would not renounce their faith in Jesus Christ. Do you remember when Jesus was talking to Paul? What He said to Paul? He said to Paul, why do you kick against the pricks? 
In Acts chapter 9, verse 5, this is the verse quote. And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Does anybody understand what the pricks were, were or understand what was going on here? When the beasts would pull a, a yoke or the oxen would pull a cart or something like that or, or doing a plowing in the field, the, the, the husbandman, the farmer, would have a, a stick with a sharp point on the end, yeah? And he would jab at the animal to get him to go on. And oftentimes that animal would kick back and fight against the goad. And what Jesus is saying to Paul basically is comparing him to a wild beast. And so this is the man who persecuted the church. Paul was absolutely committed to the, to the oppression and persecution of God's people. His, his statement, his wording was basically this. Recant or die was the cry of Paul. Recant or die. And you, any movie you've ever seen of, of, of tyrants or anything like that wouldn't be in comparison to how the future Apostle Paul was attacking the church. But you know what? Why did he do it? Why did Paul attack the church? Take your Bibles, as, and as we spoke of this morning, let's flip together to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Why did Paul persecute the church? Was he a hateful man? Actually, in all reality, Paul was a man who wanted, in his own ideas actually, he loved God. Paul was a man who wanted to please God. Paul was a man who in, in every part of his being was actually someone who, who wanted to, to serve the living God. And, and look at 1 Timothy 1.13. It explains clearly why Paul persecuted the church. In 1 Timothy, it says, Paul's actually talking now. He says, I was who, me who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. In other words, he inflicted injury on people. But I obtained mercy because I did it what? Ignorantly. In unbelief. Ignorantly in unbelief. The Greek word for ignorantly, if we define it out, simply means not to know. So in other words, Paul says right there, I did it because I did not know it. I did it because I was in unbelief and I did not know the truth. Please let that sink into you. Because this is why Paul did what he did. What exactly did he do? I'll tell you what he did. Every one of his actions was a product of ignorance. In other words, every time he, 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 he tried to cause a person to blaspheme, every time he went after people to, 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 to get them and to cause them to turn from Jesus and even to murder them, when he went after Stephen and he stood there probably in pride and arrogance of what he was doing because he was doing it for God, 
He did it because he didn't know the truth. He did it out of ignorance. Paul thought he was doing right by living the law. And by living the law, he must go after those who did not live the law. Philippians 3, verses 5 and 6. It says this, Paul again talking of himself. I was circumcised the eighth day. I was the stock of Israel. I am from the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And when it came to the law, Paul said, Paul said, as touching the law, I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, I was absolutely blameless. So, you take this man who thought he was absolutely doing right. He thought he was serving God by going after the church. He did it in his own self. To think about it, he did it with a pure heart because he thought he was doing right. And I got to thinking about this over the weekend as I was going through my notes and studying it. How many today in our world are living a life of sin against sinning against God because of ignorance of the truth. Think about that tonight. Uh, you know, I don't often bring these types of things up, but you know, I've heard a lot of things said about Muslim people, and I'm sure you have too. But you know what? I wonder how many of them do what they do because they simply do not know the truth. You know? How many of them think they are serving God when they're not really serving God, and they're doing it like the Saul, who became the Apostle Paul. They did it because of ignorance. Now, ignorance gives no excuse. Okay? Ignorance of the truth according to the Word of God is no excuse. The end result of ignorance is still separation from God. But shouldn't that burden the church? Because you know what? Paul went after the church. Paul murdered the church. Paul persecuted the church. He did everything to destroy the church. But when we get to the end of eight, the, the, the eight verses here in a few minutes, we're going to find out that that did not have a negative effect on the church. It was actually quite the opposite. It didn't cause the church to get bitter. It didn't cause the church to go underground. It didn't. It didn't cause the church to shut its doors. It didn't cause the church to change its program. They stayed the course as the church and did what they were supposed to do. See, Paul was doing what he thought was right, but it wasn't. And he still stood before God a sinner in need of salvation. And we could go on and on and on and talk about, the, about Saul. But you know what? Praise the Lord, one day, he got to the point where he said this in Philippians 3, chapter 3, verse 7. He says, those things that were gained to me, I have counted loss for the cause of Christ. Philippians 3. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. There came a day, because you know what? He was sincere, but he was sincerely wrong. But I think sometimes, I like to talk to people who are sincerely wrong. Do you know why? they tend to have a more open heart to the truths that you want to share with people. And not like those people who shake their fists in the, hand, fists in the face of God and say, I hate you, God, and I don't want anything to do with you. 
Praise the Lord that Paul said, those things I counted gain. Wow, I've counted loss for Christ. And this is the man that persecuted the church with havoc. But the more important understanding of the Scripture is what result did that persecution have of the church? In, chapter, in verses 4 in, our, in Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 8, verse 4, it says, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the Word. The result of this persecution is the church was scattered. Okay, except for who? Who was not scattered? Scattered, the, the Greek definition of the word scattered means to, it means like to scatter seed. They were strewn out everywhere. You know, when a farmer, my, my grandpa used to do this, he'd have a bag of seed, and when he'd go up on his farm, and he'd be planting whatever. I have no idea. I just ate what he grew. I didn't care what he was planting. So he'd stick his hand in the bag, and he'd whack the seed around his hand a little bit, and then he'd start going like this. And why he did that is because when he went like that, the seed actually would go like this. And not just, boom, a handful of seed there. The Bible says that they were scattered. They were strewn. It has the idea of like on a farmer's field where the wind catches the seed and it just blows it everywhere that it can be blown. That's what happened to these believers except who was not scattered. In the text, what did it say? It says there, In verse 1, and Saul was consenting to his death and there was great persecution and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Do you know who was scattered? The people. The people of God. In essence, the church. The church was scattered. And oftentimes I've read through this scripture and I thought, well, why did God persecute the church? Well, why did God allow the persecution of the church? Because everything that happens has to come through the hand of God. So, so why did God allow Saul and others to persecute the church like they did? Was it because of sin in the church? Was it because they were not witnessing in the church? No. As a matter of fact, quite the contrary. The Bible says in earlier Scriptures that these people were spreading the Gospel everywhere they went. They were taking the Word into different parts of their country and nation. But God allowed this persecution to come in to the church. The Bible says that everybody was scattered except for those apostles. They were the regular people. They were the people like sitting in this church tonight. Deacons and and members, and visitors, well, you're not a member, and I don't know what to call you, James. You get saved, we'll call you a member. Praise the Lord. That's what we'll do. Amen? And, um, you, you know, so, so the, the regular people were scattered. There was nothing wrong with the witness of the church. The persecution didn't come because of something wrong. The persecution came because God had a purpose and a plan for the move of the church of God. Please don't think that trials only because, come because something bad. That trials only come because you've not done something right. That trials only come to chasten you for some reason. That's not the reason. 
it made this no less painful because there were people dying. There were people hurting. There were people suffering. But it wasn't because of something they've done wrong. God was working something through that church. And sometimes I think we think that when things are difficult and when things are hard as we serve God, man, maybe there's something wrong. Beloved, I'll tell you tonight, it might be so, but it might not be so. And what we need to do is do exactly what these people did. And what was that? They were persecuted in essence. They were running for their life. And I want you to look at verse 4, but I want you to look at the latter half of verse 4. Because it says, Therefore they that were scattered abroad, the church that was under persecution and that was running for their lives, did this. Everywhere they went, they were preaching the Word. Now it's important, I think, for us to sit on this thought for a moment. When we talk of preaching the Word, oftentimes we think of something like this. Where we're up on a platform and there has been study done and there's been an outline produced and there's a particular subject matter that we're going to go, go through and we come and proclaim the Word. But in this verse, in verse 4, the word preaching is the word, it's the Greek word evangelizo. Anybody have an idea of what we get, what English word we get from evangelizo? To evangelize. Okay, what does it mean when Paul says here, or, or actually it's Luke, when Luke says here that these who were scattered abroad were evangelizing? you know what they were doing? They weren't taking a Bible and getting a bucket somewhere and standing up and starting to preach from the street corners. That, that, that's not a, at all what they were doing. The definition of evangelize is to explain the Gospel to somebody. It could be to one person. It could be to two people. It could, to be, it could be to a few people. But the word to evangelize means to proclaim the truth of the good news. It simply means telling people about Christ. Do you know what these scattered people were doing? They were scattered. They would have to go find a place to live. And they'd have to go find a place to work. And they'd have to find a way to eat. And in their working, and in their establishing in a home, and in their going to find places to eat, and their mingling into the new cities and incorporating their lives, in, into the culture and the places of that new city, do you know what they were doing? They were doing exactly what you and I do on a daily basis when we are given the opportunity, like I did yesterday with my neighbor Chris. I was evangelizing him. I was telling him about the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know why the church grew so rapidly? It's because God's people, wherever they went, they talked about Jesus. That's what they did. They just simply talked about Christ. It wasn't that they were preaching sermons. They weren't going out and hitting the street corner and saying, you know, the Bible says repent. They were talking to people, evangelizing. That's what we are supposed to be doing. The church of God is built and called and equipped to evangelize. In essence, these people witnessed of their faith in Jesus wherever they ended up being. That's what they did. But you know, the Bible doesn't end there. There's, there's a couple of different things going on 
in, in, this, in the church at this time. Up to verse 4, it talks about the persecution. And then in verse 4, it talks about the people of God just telling people about the Lord, witnessing of their faith. And then in verse 5, it picks up with Philip. Now Philip, we haven't really heard much about up until this point. We heard about him in Acts chapter 7 when he was one of the men selected with Stephen to be the servants of the Greek widows in the church. But other than that, we haven't heard much about, about Philip. What was Philip doing? He was part of the regular people. He wasn't an apostle. He wasn't in that leadership of the church. He was one of the ones that fled. The Bible says that they went into, some, uh, they, they went into Judea and they went into Samaria. Philip went into Samaria. Look at verse 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them. Oh, you mean Philip was an apostle? No, he wasn't. He was a regular dude that had been, been selected to serve Christ in the church. And when the persecution came, he fled out of, the, of Jerusalem into Samaria. And when he went down into Samaria, you know what the Bible says he did? What's it say there? In verse 5, Philip went down into the city of Samaria and he did what? Preached. He preached. He preached Christ to them. And many of them had, had been miracles worked upon them and demons cast out and bodies were healed. And, and they, 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 so God did a great work in Samaria. You know something though? God personally, I believe, picked the right kind of person to go down into Samaria. Up until this point, there were, before Philip, there had only been two people ever to go into Samaria and tell them the truth. Anybody know who they were? Other than Philip, Jesus and John the Baptist. They were the only two. Do you remember? They hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated with passion the Jews because the Samaritans were part of that northern tribe of Israel. When, when the tribe was split after Solomon and, and the son Rehoboam and all, the tribe was split. Two tribes down south, ten tribes up north. Samaria was the ten northern tribes. About a hundred, I'm guessing, because I can't remember clearly, but 150 years prior to the captivity of the southern tribes, Assyria came in to the northern tribes of Israel and took them captive. They hauled all the Israelites out, and then they brought some other people in. And then, with the Israel, not all of the Israelites left, but most of them were taken out, and then Assyria brought in other people from surrounding areas. And those other people from surrounding areas intermarried with the Israelites that were left, and they created a half-breed nation there. Now, the full-breed Jews didn't like the half-breeds, and the half-breeds were mad because they didn't like them, so they didn't like the full-breed Jews. And there was hatred there. And whenever a Jew wanted to go up past Samaria, he would cross over the Jordan River, up into the mountains of what is now known as Jordan, go up north, go cross back over 
the, the Jordan River and, and, and or the Dead Sea and, and come back over and, and then go up into the parts of Israel that he wanted to go to. They hated the Samaritans that much, but Philip, when he was scattered, the Bible says he went to those people. Do you know what? God goes after the unwanted people. Aren't you glad about that? God goes after the unwanted people. And I believe it was partly because of the character of Philip. The Bible says in chapter 6 about Philip, it says, look for you, brethren, look out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost, full of wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And that was Philip. Philip was a man of honest report. He was full of the Spirit of God. And he was full of wisdom. And they appointed Philip over that business along with the other six men. He went to Samaria where nobody else would go down. The Bible says in the book of Matthew chapter 10, these twelve, Jesus sent forth the twelve disciples and commanded them saying, go into the way of the Gentiles and into, go not into the way of the Gentiles or into any city of the Samaritans. Even the Lord didn't allow them to go in at that time. But now, what did God want them to do? He wanted, to go, he wanted them to go to the unwanted people. And then that's exactly what Philip did. And in verse 5, Philip went down into the city of Samaria and he preached Christ unto them. Now, here's where it gets really exciting. You and I, God might not call us to be preachers, but we're still to preach the Gospel, aren't we? In the sense of evangelizo. We are to evangelize the Gospel. But Philip was called to do something a little bit different. Jesus told him to go to Samaria and preach the Word to them. The Greek word for, for preached in verse 5 is the word caruso. And it means to announce as a herald. In other words, it means to publicly proclaim before a people the, 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 the coming of Christ and the salvation through the Lord. So what was going on in the text here? Here's what was happening. God stirred the church through persecution and He has a mission for both, both the leadership, the preachers of the church, and for the members of the church. And He has a job for both of us to do. Philip was to pre preach publicly the Gospel message of Jesus Christ. But the people of God were supposed to evangelize personally the Gospel message of Jesus Christ. That's our job. Now, Philip went down into Samaria and he, he, he performed miracles, but that was not the important aspect of the Scripture there. In verse 6 it says, and the people with one accord gave heed, listen to this, and the people gave, of one mind, of one accord, gave heed, they listened intently, unto the things which Philip spoke. Hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. You know, I was thinking about this. People say, oh, I wish the church could perform miracles today. In a sense, we do. When we help the poor, when we help the homeless, when we take care of people who are, who are, who, who are without, when we love the unlovable, when we, when we go out and serve people who, don't, who, who others won't want to serve them. That's the work of the church. And, and the, the point is this. Philip had these great miracles that he was doing, but it wasn't the miracles that caused them to believe in Christ. 
It was the miracles, it was the work that He did that helped them to believe in the Word that was spoken. Do you see the point? It was that that helped them to trust the Word. They didn't trust the miracles. They trusted the Word that He spoke. But the works that He did gave emphasis to the Word that He preached. Now, here's the point. The church should have good works as well. And that should help the unbeliever to see that God's Word is true. That's why over the last few months, I've been talking about we need to get out into the community. I've been talking about having Christianity explored and been talking about trying to work with the trafficking aspect of slavery and all of these things. Why? Because those things give an arm of strength to the Word that we preach. Because when we say God loves you, it shouldn't be like, ah, I know you're hungry, but go and be blessed. Sometimes we preach truth, but we need to have the works that support the truth. Amen? Amen? You need to have that that backs up what we're preaching. And this preaching, the evangelizing of God's people, the public proclamation of of Philip, what did it do? Look at verse 8. And it, it, it culminates in this verse and brings it to a head. From the evangelizing and from the preaching, there was not bitterness. There was not anger. There was not you know, people complaining about what was going on. They were doing what God called them to do. And because of that, there was great joy in that city. The church should bring joy. The church should bring a peace to people. The church should bring truth that changes people's lives that makes them different than they ever were ever before. Listen, beloved, tonight, I don't know what we're dealing with. I don't know what trials we might be facing. I don't know what pressure that's on us. But I do know the one thing that we should be doing. As a preacher, I should keep on preaching. As a Christian, you should keep on evangelizing because there's a city out there that, that needs us to carry on doing what we've been called to do. Amen? There is simply no excuses for the church not to. Let's pray.